I believe that the church needs to speak out on these issues. I, I think it's uh, too often we are silent on these issues. We are afraid of blowback on these issues, and we have to be prophetic. We can't be uh, afraid of what's uh, of the uh, of uh, the response from the, the other side. The disciple said to him, "Look, Lord, here are two swords," and he said, "That is enough." Now, did he mean two swords are enough? That's all you mean. You need, or did he mean that's enough? Don't talk to me about swords. The positive is that it has raised awareness within mental health. The negative is the stigma it has placed on anybody who has a mental health issue. Even the people at the gun clubs know that that if you have 15, 20 bullets in your magazine, you know, bad stuff can happen. Even they say that is an offense that gets you thrown out of the gun club sometimes. People that are experts in guns recognize that if you have more than three rounds in a magazine, it immediately becomes dangerous. I, you know what? I got to tell you that the person that told you that's dangerous. That's how ignorant they are. Now, I want to move on to the last uh, interview, and this is probably the longest theology pit in the history of theology pit, so I'm going to say everything I have to say about the gun issue and then probably never talk about it again. Um, but I was able to speak with someone, and I say, if I think I, I, I want to say that I saved the best for last, and then I'll, I'll do a uh, you know, summary at the end and a little, some observations that I made, but I talked with, um, George Atkins and he was a, uh, pastor at, um, four mile, uh, church in Brighton township for a while. Uh, he no longer is. He's now pursuing a, um, a degree in, um, uh, in the mental health field. I can't remember exactly uh, what it was, but um, I know he, he preaches at my church every now and again and, and, and does some teaching and he does a lot of counseling. And um, he had uh, some things to say about the mental health issue and about Christianity uh, as a whole and our, and our relationship to it. And we talk about an interesting thing that was going on. You had this demonstration at the courthouse with the, you know, uh, anti-gun movement. And on the other side, across the street, you had the uh, pro-gun movements and uh, across the street from both of them, um, you had an Easter egg hunt going on um, with families and children. And there were more people at that Easter egg hunt than both of those rallies combined the entire time. And it lasted longer than both of them, which does your heart good in where America truly is, that there are extremes on both sides of this issue. But the majority of the people, they just want to live their lives. And this is it's, you know, being just a, a good Christian and a good parent and a good community and providing activities like that is more important then, um, you know, whether we need to ban guns or stop people from uh, banning guns, that's how people think. And um, in my in my summary, I'll get into my thoughts a little bit more here. But I want us to turn now to my interview with uh, Mr. George Atkins. 
So my name is George Atkins. Uh, I used to be in ministry uh, for about 20 years, and now I'm in the mental health field. Okay, great. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, this is a theology pit, so it's a very candid type sure, thing. You pretty much fine. say anything. So right now, we are straddled in between we are. Right, two groups that feel ways about things. Sure they do. And uh, and we're not counting the Easter egg hunt that's going on across the street. It, uh, it, it's a fascinating uh, <laughs> juxtaposition of three different your ideas. It really is. It really is. Right. So the whole topic uh, that's going on is, you right. know, the gun control issue, right. or just guns in general. Now, right. theology pit, we focus on theology. Gotcha. So, okay, I'll do my best. Yeah. So just stick with, I mean, you're you're a Christian, obviously, right. you know. Um, and so your perspective, like what, what do you think the Christian's perspective on firearms or just weapons in general, I mean, just any, any type of that aspect, what do you wow. think that it should be? And whatever your position is, how do you think we can start getting back to where we should be? Yeah. Um, first of all, the fact that we have people being able to share their ideas publicly in you know, two different forums, I think is, is an awesome thing. Uh, we're not always the most civilized in the way we do that, but the fact that we live in a country and are able to do that and hunt for Easter eggs is pretty awesome. Um, you know, my viewpoint as a Christian is regardless, it's it's around love. How do we love God fully with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? The know, Shema. The Shema. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You could use theological terms here. Our awesome. audience is Thank very you. used to it. Okay, yeah. so yeah, definitely you know along those lines. Um, and so for Christians, that should be the guiding principle. You know, my viewpoint is. In our country, I believe we probably, I don't think we do, my viewpoint is we conflate what our constitutional rights are along with our uh, spiritual liberties. Uh, And so I think we... Could you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, there's the idea that we're a Christian nation, and I would say we're definitely Christian influenced, but our our founding fathers wrote the documents in such a way to make it religiously ambiguous, uh, from my viewpoint. And so, uh, you know, we are living in a time where we have people of all different faiths and backgrounds living in our country. We did at the beginning, but it just was predominantly from a Christian viewpoint. And now we've got people from all different backgrounds. I think as a Christian, that's a phenomenal opportunity for us to be a witness to all these people of different ideas yeah. uh, and to be salt and light. I think if we are taking a hard and fast position from a constitutional standpoint, and then we just happen to be Christians, and I think we are on the wrong side of the fence. I think you know our, our viewpoint is always, we serve a king who has a kingdom. That is our primary objective. And we just happen to live in the United States. We just happen to be citizens of this country. Um, and I'm grateful for that. You know, I've been around the world. I've been to Haiti and Egypt and South Africa, Europe, uh, Belize, Mexico. Um, I still love the fact that I live in the United States. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. But I think probably we conflate our constitutional rights with our uh, Christian beliefs too much. 
and so while I don't have a problem with the Second Amendment, uh, I believe people have the opportunity to arm themselves. I just wonder if we haven't now started to breach in the, into this area of idolatry, where we're beginning to worship that right and to worship the idea of being able to have guns um, and not uh, putting it in the context it was meant to be. Okay, so um, how do you think, what, what do you think we can do as believers, as a church, to start moving more into that direction of, you know, thinking of it more in a loving aspect and not, and getting away from the idolatry of, yeah. you know, what we're doing? Because some people have argued that, you know, in, in some, uh, let's just say for better term, very conservative Christian understanding, the founding fathers are basically saints. Right. And, and I mean, if, if, if you're kind of seeing that, and it's almost like every word that they wrote is gospel. Right. So, you Which know, I would say is idolatrous as well. well. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think we can start to do to start moving you know, away from that in, in a way that, you know, will, will not feel like abrasive and not like, well, we have to stop being American, but, you know, recognize the position that we're in? Well, I think the, the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is to demonstrate civil discourse. Uh, you know, James 1 says, you know, uh, our anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so when we come at this conversation, hey, guys, when we come at this position from this uh, position of anger, I think, we, you know, right then and there, it stops the communication. So open communication is always, I think, uh, you know, the position we should take. Um, from a constitutional standpoint, I think, you know, being able to to gather together and to protest different ideas is a wonderful idea, but my experience is that seldom has the impact that one-on-one conversations with individuals has. Yeah. Um, Do you think that maybe we're, um, as a nation, I mean, every other day there's a protest. Yeah. Do you think that we're starting to kind of get callous to it? Oh, to absolutely. Where, I mean, you're protesting everything, so now nothing has meaning Listen, anymore. Listen, and I'll say this, you know, Facebook <laughs> is, yeah, okay. Facebook. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. That's right. <laughs> Facebook, I think, um, is a tool like anything else. I don't think it's evil. I don't think it is awesome. I think it's a tool. It is a revealer, in my opinion, of our maturity in many ways. And so I find that many people lack the maturity to have a civil discourse. Um, and so I think we have become callous. We are used to using, for lack of better terms, we throw... Uh, verbal hand grenades or written hand grenades at each other, expecting, well, if we speak the loudest and clap the loudest and cheer the loudest, and if we express our viewpoint with enough anger, we'll convince somebody else that we're right. I just don't see Jesus ever doing that. Yeah. Well, a lot of people said we're returning to Egypt with Facebook because we just write on walls and look at pictures of cats. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, as, as a believer who is you know, involved in social media, uh, it's fascinating. When I post something that, you know, like a restaurant or my kid or something like that, I get tons of likes. If I actually post something that is fairly provocative, you know, spiritually, you know, it's like crickets, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, really? You know, yeah. Um, in social media, I don't post memes. 
I don't use any memes because I think memes lack the ability to communicate complex uh, ideas. Yeah. Uh, even Richard Dawkins, who is kind of the inventor of the term meme, you know, I would think would be if 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 he believed in the afterlife, uh, would be turning over in his grave about how memes are being used. Yeah, well, he's still uh, alive, so he's not turning over in his okay. grave yet. But right. some people they like to share memes just because right. they disagree with the uh, selfish gene right. so much in what right. he wrote that yeah, right. that that's it. Okay, if I could um, ask you, since you said you're in the mental health profession, yeah, sure. That is a big part of this debate. It's also, a big part of this debate. So, um, like. When you talk about like uh, mental health and restricting people with mental health problems from acquiring firearms or if they've been diagnosed, they're being removed and that sort of yeah. thing, um, some people have said that, well, where do you draw the line? Like somebody has an you anxiety know, disorder right. or that's somebody, a, I mean, exactly. and, and with, I mean, I, I'm just kind of compounding this too, but with the way we're, in my opinion, over-medicating our kids. You know, is that going to be causing problems for them long term down the line that we might not see right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, once again, not to, you know, not to be tongue in cheek, but we're always looking for the silver bullet answer, you know, and there just isn't one. Uh, it's multiple issues, and you have to come at it multiple ways. Um, mental health, the, the positive is that it has raised awareness within mental health. The negative is the stigma it has placed on anybody who has a mental health issue. So, you know, if somebody's got an anxiety disorder, which the, the, uh, the most um, diagnosed disorder in the United States is anxiety. So if somebody is, you know, seeking counseling and even on medication for anxiety, you know, should they, should that get, you know, because of HIPAA laws, should that be revealed to people? Um, you know, does that mean they can't own a firearm? You know, I don't know. Um, you know, you bring up medication. In some ways, you know, medications for some people have been a godsend. You know, uh, and they've been wonderful. At the same time, many of our mental health, uh, you know, uh, issues can be addressed through sound counseling and uh, good counseling practices. Um, and so that too, uh, you're throwing mental health and uh, you know the Second Amendment into the same pond and saying, you know, let's try and untangle that mess. Uh, and that's that's difficult to do. I know I've talked to some um, some veterans that I've worked with sure. who suffer from PTSD right. really badly, yeah. and they refuse to get treatment because they're afraid that their rights are going to be taken away, that they're going to be stigmatized because of something the government actually had them trained to do, and they just spent the last decade doing it, and now you know, they're struggling with it. So yeah, absolutely, I mean it's it, it's a it's a big conversation. It's a huge conversation, and these. You know, these men and women who have, you know, volunteered because, listen, you know, our generation and those following have not been asked to sacrifice anything. It's all been on a volunteer basis. So we have really no Hang idea. Hang on a second. This is a theology pit. Starbucks didn't put a snowflake on their cup the other yeah, day. Right. So, you know, right. I come on now. I'm obviously being persecuted. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, so in, in a lot of ways, you know, the people who have served our country have done so voluntarily. So we really don't understand a lot of what they've sacrificed for the fact that we have the ability to stand on different corners and express different ideas. Um, and so I'm grateful for, for those men and women who have done that. And um, unfortunately, our government has not always done the best at servicing those people with mental health uh, struggles, particularly in PTSD. Um, 
I would I would suggest that anyone who is wrestling with that uh, would seek help for the sake, not just for themselves, but for their family as well. Because mental health is never an isolated situation. It never occurs within a vacuum. It affects everybody around them. Uh, and so, you know, I would encourage them to seek that out. Um, but I understand uh, that um, they're afraid. Um, I would want to find out, you know, where where is that fear based? You know, um, you know, there's four there's four basic human emotions. There's happy, uh, sadness, fear, and anger. And so often when you hear people being angry, and you know, to a certain degree, that's how a lot of these messages come out is anger. My question is, is what are you afraid of? Yeah. And so uh, once again, you know, we, if we look back to the scriptures and we bring this back into the pit, yes. As Christians, we should be the least fear. fear people on the planet absolutely you know we shouldn't be walking around terrified yeah. um, well, that but also um, bold to proclaim the absolutely. message of Christ absolutely yeah. absolutely and you know uh, and yet we don't yeah. um, you know this is from my own personal standpoint is uh, you know uh, I don't believe in seeking out my news from one media source I seek it out from both I seek it out from from conservative, from liberal, quote unquote, whatever those mean. Uh, I seek it from out international to see what international news is seeing. So I don't absorb my information from one source, uh, from a news standpoint. Um, and I try and be informed about the issues. That's why you just keep it in your Facebook feed. You get the best of both worlds. You do. <laughs> you do. And, you know, um, and those, unfortunately, I have to say, those who are unable to discuss it civilly, I, I just no longer follow or invite into those conversations. Yeah. So as you can tell, I uh, really appreciated what George had to say. And I didn't interrupt a lot because I don't think I interrupted at all because um, he makes a lot of, of really good and very middle of the road points, especially when dealing with the actual problem. And it's a heart problem. OK, it's a problem with Christians on both sides being idolatrous, whether it's with the government and worshiping the, from a statist perspective or if it's somebody that is a constitutionalist that is worshiping the Constitution and viewing it as what governs you in the sense of where your rights come from. So as an Orthodox Christian, where should we be in this debate? When I use the word Orthodox, I'm, I mean it in its sense of right believing. It's orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orth orthopathy, uh, right thinking and right action. And I said this earlier in the podcast that our job as Bible-believing Christians is to understand what the Bible says to us and what our purpose and our role is and our place. Within the American society, our place is to hold the power and delegate it, but we do not relinquish that power. Nobody does. Jesus Christ is our Lord and our King. He has a mission. We're part of that mission. Now, he has delegated his authority to us, but he does not stop being King. He does not stop being Lord because we speak with his authority. The word of God, the Bible, speaks with the authority of God. God's not made up of parts. He didn't divest any part of himself or stop being in order for the Bible to exist. 
the Bible as God's word tells us about who he is. It is the story of the generation, degeneration, and regeneration of mankind. If we lived in a different country, there would be a different understanding to Romans 13. But we're Americans. We live in America, and therefore, we retain the right of self-preservation And we insist that our government recognizes that right that does not come from them, that is inalienable. It comes from outside of us. As the founders put it, from God or from nature's God, they saw this as a natural right. And that goes back, I mean, back into Platonic thought, Aristotelian philosophy. Okay, this idea of us having intrinsic value because of what we are. And if you want to take the nature aspect of it, if you want to take an atheistic aspect of it, then it is inherent within us for self-preservation. It's in our DNA. It's locked in there. It's in our behavior. And the Constitution recognizes that. Recognizes it. Does not give it. Therefore, the Second Amendment and guns can never be taken away. Because it was never given to begin with. It's only been given by God and it's only recognized by God. And it should be recognized by the government. And as citizens, we need to enforce that. We need to let people know. And I know this sounds like I'm taking a very hardcore, like pro-gun, you know, stance on this. But to be honest, if we were talking about any of the other amendments, you know, um, if we were talking about, you know, the the uh, Sixth Amendment, which is the right to a speedy trial, um, you know, I think the Seventh Amendment is not um, uh, giving in, in cruel and unusual punishments. I would be taking the exact same stance. I would say that we are recognized by our government to have these rights that we are not to be tortured because of the Imago Dei, the image of God that is present within us. That's where this concept comes from. And people are focusing on the tool. They're focusing on the medium of guns when it could be anything. But the fact that This is the society that we live in. This is the society that we operate in. Now, guns have been around for, what, five or six hundred years? This is not a new concept. Murder has been around longer than that. Mass killings have been around longer than that. There are examples in history of countries that do not respect the rule of law and that have set up their countries that their their rights that their citizens have come from the government and as soon as a new government takes over there's nothing they can do about it it changes look at venezuela all right look at the soviet union before it fell you know uh removing god and and um and teaching their children that there is no god 
look at what um, you know Nazi Germany did. You know, by making the government the central power, the National Socialist uh, Labor Union. I think that's what Nazis stood for. Um, if we don't learn from history about what happens to countries that disarm their population, even in a government like that, and you could make the argument there, well, Christians should be obedient and they should suffer for it, and that's fine. If you want to make that argument, go ahead. I, I think that it's I think it's a cruel argument to to make. But in America, you can't make that argument without violating scripture and without violating the Constitution at the same time. As a Christian it is your duty, your obligation to support the Constitution and the Second Amendment. I don't know how else to say it. Unless you're going to do hermeneutical backflips to try and make the Bible say what you want it to say, the only way you can do that is in a different governing system. Okay, with a different belief system, a heterodoxy, or heresy for short. But you need to make the argument to me that kings hold no power. That they are not put there by God. That there is no history of God doing that. That God has somehow changed. And in doing so, you're violating the concept of Godness itself. By having a changing God, you have no God at all. God is immutable. He's beyond the ability to change. His word stands. Now, maybe you want to uh, uh, say, well, no, we, we won't violate the Bible but we will violate the Constitution and say that's not the meaning of it. That's fine. Make your argument. Tell me that that's not the meaning. If you want to change it, amend it. Go ahead. We have we had prohibition. It was an amendment to the Constitution. And then it was repealed. 21st Amendment repealed prohibition of alcohol. It can be changed. It can be done problem that you're going to have, though, is a lot of states' constitutions did not have a part of it or an amendment to theirs or an article within their constitutions that dealt with alcohol. It was easier to get that amendment in prohibiting alcohol, and then you could, you could remove it. As we pointed out with um, talking with Sam Piccanini there, and I brought up Pennsylvania state constitution because our state constitution does have that in there. You would need Pennsylvania to ratify its constitution first and then ratify federal. And Pennsylvania is a commonwealth. There are about four commonwealth states in our country, which means we have the liberty to tell the federal government to go pound salt. And all the government can do is withhold funding from us. 
if it wants to try to send the military in to force us to, um, uh, you know, obey certain laws, that's why we have a militia to fight back. And I don't know if the army would even do something like that. Um, you know, we do have our national guard. We have, um, you know, the national guard is our militia in, in Pennsylvania. I mean, officially right now, but it also consists of, I believe every able-bodied Pennsylvanian between the ages of 18 and 45. We just have we have a very liberal governor right now, who would you know try and go along with it, but we have a very conservative Republican Congress. They th- this would happen. So this is what this is the discussion that you need to have. And. If you're not willing to have this type of conversation, if you're not willing to understand these things, then you really don't want to talk about this issue. The bottom line is that we don't want people hurting on either side, and we want to find a, a way to stop that. But the answers that we're giving aren't going to help. Arming teachers does not stop mass shootings. It will not stop them. It may inhibit in the same way that banning certain guns or limiting rounds may inhibit. But it won't solve the problem. People will find other ways. It's not an issue. Our culture... Is becoming so messed up. We need to turn back to Christ. We need to repent. As Christians, we need to learn. I mean, some of the stuff that I'm I'm, I'm saying, you know, in, in regards to, to doctrine and to theology may sound shocking to some Christians. They may listen to this thing. I've never heard of the word immutable. I don't know what that is. You know, I, I, I don't know what a uh, you know, dynamic monarchianism within the Trinity, what that means. Type of tritheism or polytheism. I don't know what Eutychianism is, Polinarianism. Maybe some people are saying, hey, I'm surprised, uh, you know, in this podcast that you're saying that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Yeah, well, you know what? Read the book of Romans. Read the read the New Testament where it 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 spells it out. Paul in talking about Christ, Romans ten. He says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, speaking of Christ, but he's quoting Joel two thirty two. He's he's directly calling him Yahweh. And there's other passages, there's other areas. Even, um, you know, the atheist slash agnostic, whatever he's going by now, Bart Ehrman, had, has said that whoever wrote the Gospel of John certainly thought Jesus was God. And these are things that it, it, it's just surprising in churches whenever I, I, I talk to people about this. And it's more surprising when I talk to Americans about this that don't, they've never read the Constitution. It's not a long document. There's not a lot to you can read it, you can understand it. Okay, it's not a mystery. Pick it up, read it. Spend 15 minutes reading through it. Half hour at the most. 
it's not it's not a big document. A couple things that I noticed during the uh, rallies on Saturday, when I was listening to the pro gun rally. And I, I wasn't interviewing anyone at the time, and I just wanted to listen to what was being said. People were walking through that rally, going to the other rally, and saying rude comments, and just wanted to argue and fight. Um, there was one woman that, you know, picked kind of a verbal altercation with Sam, saying that, you know, well, you know, you want us to have guns, you want people to have guns that the police don't even have. You know, AR-15s and what have you. And Sam was dumbfounded. He, he said, ma'am, I'm, I was a police officer. I trained police officers. Go look in their cars right now. They have an AR-15 in there. They, they exist. They're, they're right there. She refused to do it. She, she wouldn't look at it. So closing yourself off to a conversation, that's a problem. But also while I was standing over there, and these drag hunts going on right across the road, people were driving by with their windows down and screaming obscenities at the pro-gun rally, at the people calling them a-holes and other things. Completely disrespectful and not even concerned. The children are in earshot. On the pro um, well, uh, yeah, the March for Our Lives rally, the anti-gun rally. Some people, Sam being one of them, and, and he's, he, this was reported in the Beaver County Times, and I was there when he was giving the interview because I was waiting to do the interview right after, said I would have loved to went over there and taken a couple people with me and talked with them and addressed some of their concerns and invite some of them over to use RPA and to talk to us and have, have a sit down, have a discussion. He said, but I didn't think that we would feel welcome if we went over there because of the vitriol of the people that were walking through going to that rally and what they were saying. They were completely hostile. Now, if you weren't there, this was not a pro-gun uh, rally where people had, you know, ARs and handguns and all sorts of stuff. It was made very clear. I, I showed up early and was watching things set up, and I watched Sam talk with the local law enforcement and explain to them we have a permit, and we have told people do not bring guns. Don't bring long guns. Don't open carry. And he told the law enforcement there that if you see anybody open carrying or have you know long guns strapped with them or pistols or anything, pull them aside, remove them from this event. They are not part of this event and they are not welcome here. Okay, he was doing it for as a, as a matter of safety because there were a group of kids over there. And he said he didn't want some nut job trying to use them as a shield or somebody trying to start trouble. You know, you never know what people will do these days. Um, and a lot of times you see violence generally coming from from one side. It's something you can look up yourself. But, you know, if they wanted to make that group look bad, they they would do that. Come over and, and you know, start shooting up a, 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 a you know park full of children. And so he informed law enforcement to keep an eye out for that because if you see anybody, mm -mm, turn them around, tell them not to go, explain to them 
what's going on and what's happening. Okay, those were part of the rules of that pro-gun rally. You were not to have guns. You were not asked to have guns. Okay, and it was very well respected. I didn't see any. You know, you keep a lookout when you when you see those kind of things. I've been to, um, you know, Tea Party events in 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 the past when they were held at our our courthouse. You go there, you take pictures, you talk with people, you do interviews, you walk around. You know, you see that. Always saw people open carrying. Always saw guns. This is a pro gun event, and it was instructed no guns, and there weren't any. But Pastor Kim. Rapsack, I think I'm saying your name properly. Um, Lutheran minister was the only one to cross the street and come and talk with the opposing side to get a better understanding. And I commend her for that. That is exactly what needed to be done. She did that. She had the same, uh, uh, you know, concerns that you know she would not be welcomed. You know that she would it would be antagonistic, and at first she she wasn't. I mean, she went up to P. I was I was waiting to interview Sam, and she was maybe you know ten or twelve feet from me. Coming, I saw her walking up to talk with some people. You know, she had her, her her picket sign and you know everything, and she put it down. And you know, I just kind of listened just out of the corner of my ear while I was waiting to you know in, in line sort of to do my interview. And um, she said, "Hey, you know," she went to some people and she said, "Hey, can I talk to you for a moment?" And they were folding up a NRA flag. I think it was an NRA flag. Pretty sure it was. Um, and they said, "Well, we're, we're we're just leaving." And she's like, "No, I don't want to." be antagonistic. I don't want to argue. I don't want to fight. I just simply want to understand your position. Could you explain it to me? And she stood there for, I want to say a good half hour and listened. She just listened and talked with them and had open dialogue and open communication. That, that is the attitude of Christ. That is what we need to be doing. And even though in this you know program in this this podcast I may have disagreed with her on a lot of things, corrected a lot of things that, that she did, she's the only person, the only one, out of all of those what you know, four to five hundred people, five hundred and fifty people, however many there, the total of those people, the only one that made an effort, the one person. And you can't let that just just slide by unnoticed. So while she was standing with a group that was that wants to ban guns, she is open and honest for a dialogue. And that is where change is going to take place. Unfortunately, the type of change that she's looking for, in the opinion of the theology pit here, is unbiblical in an American society. And I think that we need to stop and consider that as Americans and as Christians. And, you know, churches that ban guns, believe me, you're setting yourself up for a lawsuit, if not just the murder of, you know, dozens of your parishioners, maybe more, especially bigger churches. There are some churches that get, you know, in this area thousand two thousand people a weekend you know per service you're looking you know, 700 maybe a thousand 
and they're mandated to be unarmed. One person walks in there. One crazy person. One of the classes that I'm in in seminary is a uh, world missions class. And we study what it's like for Christians around the world. And I'm going to tell you this. We don't see persecution in this country to the level that they do. Our professor just got back. Um, I don't want to say where he was, what country he was in, because it was, um, you know, he was had a, a, a bodyguard with him. He was with a couple other people. Um, I don't know how much really should be made public about it. Part of the problem is, is that every big holiday is when churches get attacked and bombed in these areas because they know that the most people are going to be there. And in the country that they're in, they, they may not be able to fight back. Some of the places that do allow them to fight back, you, you almost have two choices. You either allow the government to do it, allow the, the local police to take care of it, and what that means is that they come and take the report of how many people were killed and then do an investigation to try and find out who did it. If you provide your own security, then they will not spend as much effort investigating who did it because they would say that, well, you were just negligent on your security. There are evil people in this world and there is evil in this world. Stickers won't stop them. Disarming people won't stop them. Unfortunately, our world has changed, but our Constitution is set up for this. As Christians, we are called to protect. As leaders in the church, a shepherd, my goodness, as a shepherd, you should be armed. Okay, in the in the Old Testament, when we get the the image of of shepherds there, they are not unarmed. Goodness, they're so good with a sling. You know, they it's been said that they could, you know, launch a rock, you know, two hundred feet per second. I mean that that's moving smooth stone and be accurate with it. You know, to to fend off wolves, to kill wolves, to keep their sheep safe and when David had to go up against Goliath that's how he was able to take him down that fast a perfectly placed shot he became king he protected his people didn't make the best decisions in my opinion I mean that's obvious with his life but a man after God's own heart was a protector was a king and now you as a child of the King, of Christ, and as a pastor, as a priest, are called to be in that shepherding position, and you're behaving like a sheep. You're not even behaving like a sheepdog. And you're telling them to be unarmed. You're not training any sheepdogs, and you're not protecting them. If something happens... It is on you. And it's a hard thing to say. It's a very hard thing to say. So, um, 
And the theology pit here, talking about guns, this is hopefully the last time I will ever have to talk about guns. We are not like other countries. Less guns does not mean less violence. Less guns does not mean less suicides. Less guns does not mean less problems, except for victims. When you have a deterrent of firearms, it does keep criminals away. Okay, when you have a deterrent as, um, you know, a young woman or an elderly woman or, you know, a smaller person or a yeah, regular sized person or a fat guy, whatever, and you're in a situation where you're outnumbered or outpowered. In America, you never have to be in that situation. You never have to be powerless. You are a sovereign citizen. And you have been placed there by God, according to Romans chapter 13. I've spent quite a few days in between uh, releasing parts one and two and releasing this part for part three, just to think about my concluding statements here and and just to kind of um, put a little distance between the events and myself so, you know, I could reflect back on and listen back to the interviews, listen back to things. And so here's my kind of final thoughts on it. Um, nobody is truly addressing the problem. I, I, you know, I said that earlier. Uh, I think that um, the problem definitely is uh, with a, with the heart, it's, it's with the soul. Um, and, and the fact that, um, the politician that I interviewed, um, the fact that he was so dismissive of the mental health side of the gun control issue. And at the same time saying that it was responsible for 60% of the gun deaths. This tells me that he doesn't really care. Okay, he, he doesn't care about mental health. He doesn't care about people. All right, he cares about control. That's all the more he cares about people because it's not about gun control. It's about people control. And he wants to control people. He wants to push legislation to control people because he is not for banning guns. All right. If you listen carefully, he is not for banning guns at all. Okay. He is for gun concentration and having guns concentrated in the hands of the few, which are the government and using any excuse possible. And this time it just happens to be standing in the blood of children. This rally was, was for the shoot for the, you know, for the mass shooting, um, in a school. And so what he is doing by being so dismissive, he, he, he doesn't care. The rifles that exist in this country only are used, I, I think it's only like, um, well, like uh, between 100 and 300 people like are killed by them. Something It's something so small. It's, it's like nothing. I mean, when you compare them to the other types of guns that are used, handguns are the most popular, okay? Uh, a limit that is suggested of magazine bans, if 60% of the gun violence is done with one bullet, a magazine capacity limit is not going to solve 60% of the problems. You can't legislate this. And to even, I, I, 
to even make that suggestion is is ridiculous. It's stupid. I'm sorry. Like, uh, it, you know, Sam Piccanini said that that person was dangerous, and he is. That person should not be anywhere near um, a, a legislative job. He should not be uh, representing us. He should not be allowed. He should be disqualified, in my opinion, from uh, from running. But this is America, and he can do that. And the people that are following, I don't, I don't understand it. Like if mental health, I mean, you are not in your right mind. You have some severe depression. Something is going on if you shoot yourself, if you commit suicide. And that's 60%. You know, more people die from uh, texting and driving when they're young. But there are no marches for that. You know, kids eating Tide Pods and stuff like that. Doing other, other stupid thing. More people die from hammers. More people die from fists than from firearms, you know? And I just don't get that. I don't get why that's the solution is to limit the availability of firearms to people who are, are, aren't doing anything wrong. I mean, to violate somebody's constitutional rights. And maybe you don't understand this. But let, me, let me break this down for you, okay? Just so you can understand what a constitutional violation this is. Okay, just based on these statistics and, and what they're recommending here. Here we go. The majority of mass shootings, the majority of homicides by firearms, okay? Um, and let's exclude all the mental health. So let's take out that 60% and let's just say 40%, 17,000. We can say 17,000 lives on average, roughly. If it was a law, let's make this a law that anyone who is a Democrat cannot buy a gun. It's illegal for them to have a gun. Strip them of the right to, fire, to, to buy a gun. All of them. Every single registered Democrat should go on a list and they should be banned from buying guns. Because you know what would happen? All those gun deaths would go down. There might be just a few in there. And we're talking maybe in the tens. Because statistically, it's people that are on the left side or that are Democrat that are doing all the shooting. But you're saying, but Sam, we can't do that. Samson, you cannot even say you are. No, people have a constitutional right to own guns. Okay, you're correct. I can't just do that. How about this? The majority of um, homicide victims are black Americans by other black Americans. So let's just make it a law. Black people can't own guns. Let's just strip the gun rights from them. That would solve a lot of problems. Black people wouldn't be allowed to own guns. No, Samson, you can't do that. You're violating their constitutional rights. Uh, You know what? You got me again. You're correct. All right. How about this? Anybody that's not an NRA member, okay, because NRA members consist of Republicans, Democrats, whites, and blacks. How about that? Anybody that is not an NRA member or Gun Owners of America or one of the other, you know, gun rights organizations, they can't buy a gun. How about that? Yeah. No, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. You cannot pick a group of people. And just I randomly identify them by some arbitrary measure and strip them of their gun rights. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You're right. I can't do that. And I won't do that. So how can you hold that argument and say that 
if you are not a government employee of some sort, then you should not have a firearm. And yet that is not considered unconstitutional. It's the same thing. If you ban all Americans or the majority of Americans or make it difficult for them to possess any firearm that they want, that's unconstitutional. Just because you're saying, well, the government should have guns. Yeah, let's centralize uh, gun concentration in the hands of the government. That's never gone wrong in the history of the world. I've never seen that as a problem. Come on now. We are a representative republic. We are made up of sovereign citizens. Okay, Romans 13. All right. You can't do that. So the position here on the theology pit is that as a Christian, you should own a gun. You should carry a gun. That's it. You should. As a responsible citizen, a responsible Christian, you should. I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying that you should. If you don't want to, don't inhibit other people from doing it ever. That's unbiblical. Okay? That's a sin. You're going against the word of God. You're going against God's will. God put that person in place to carry that firearm. According to Romans 13. Okay, that is what it means to be an American Christian. All right. Um, so this does it for, you know, guns and, and gun control here at the theology pit. Um, you know, I guess, I guess it turned out to be an okay series. Um, I, I just can't believe that I actually have to do a series like this, that people are so um, uneducated on their, the country that they live in, in the United States of America, the Constitution, uh, what it means to be a citizen, and the Bible, that something as simple as firearms needs to be sat down and discussed in this way. I would love to hear the other side of it. I really would. I would love to hear the gun control people, the anti-gun people, the gun-banning people. Really, it's gun-banning for citizens because none of them want to ban guns for the government. They want the government to have more guns. Okay. Um, I, and I just, I don't understand that, but I would love to hear it from the other side. I really would. I, I want to hear what their argument is because like I said earlier, unless they make the argument that, you know, God is wrong and the Bible is wrong and, you know, um, kings should not be put in place. God doesn't put kings in place. Uh, God does not put people of authority in place. I want to know how they get around all that. I want to know how they deal with the, with the old Testament. It just makes me wonder if they're going into like a Marcion type of argument that, you know, um, that the Bible is, uh, you know, the God of the old Testament doesn't count or the old Testament doesn't count, uh, you know, in order to do this. I just don't understand that. It, it, it really, uh, boggles my mind. So, uh, thank you for listening to theology pit. You can get a hold of me. Um, email me Samson at samsonstick.com. You can email me through the website, samsonstick.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me, uh, on Facebook through the theology pit. Hey, you know what? Share these with your friends. Um, if you want to have a discussion on gun control, if you want to get a hold of me for some reason on this, uh, feel free to, maybe I said something wrong. Maybe I had a, a wrong stat or something in there, but I think that the point has been made. And now, it is definitely time to close down the pit. Thank you.
everyone. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com. Tell us what you like or what you don't like and consider making a donation. Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. samsonstick.com. 